Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast. This free podcast is made possible through gifts by people like you. Please consider making a donation through the donate button on the website to help us offer unique audio, video, and text-based teachings on the internet and to grow this community library. Michael's teaching bridges the gap between inner healing and social change by synthesizing traditional spiritual teachings with the insights of the West. To learn about Michael's international retreats and workshops, please visit michaelstoneteaching.com. Thank you for your support. And then let your eyes open if they're closed. Feel free to stretch your spine or your legs if you need to. So, good evening. Yeah. It's nice to have so many people sit quietly together, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the topic tonight is the intersection between uh, two worlds that I'm living in, and you might be living in too, which is uh, contemplative practices that slow us down and wake us up and really stabilize our attention so that we can cultivate uh, creativity, uh, empathy, uh, and not react so much out of the habitual, personal, and collective, and social, learned habits that uh, we're usually caught in. When you sit, like we sat just now, you can see all those habits, huh? And the other side is that we're living in a digital era, an online era. And I'm really interested in how those things connect, and. I've never spoken much about uh, this topic, but it's occurred to me over the last year or two that when I've been reading about the effect of the internet, the effect of iPhones, the effect of um, uh, monitoring oneself with Fitbits and so on, on our psyche, that most of the people who are talking about this are journalists, and most of the journalists are covering the research of neuroscientists. And that's great, it's amazing, it's really, really important. But I feel like the people who are, uh, who also should be speaking about the digital era are people who are uh, clinical psychologists or therapists, school teachers, and meditation teachers. Because we're the people who see people's minds and what's going on in people's minds, so to speak. So it's from that vantage point that I'm going to, to speak about this topic tonight. Uh, but I want to start with a Zen story, a famous Zen story, which is a story of a guy on a horse. And he's on a horse galloping at full speed. And he goes past a crossroads, and someone yells at him up to, towards uh, him on the horse and says, where are you going? And he says, I don't know, ask the horse. 
It's not funny. (laughs) So it really doesn't matter how we feel about technology. Uh, It's here to stay. And um, if you are in the camp of pro-technology, or you're in the camp of anti-technology, you probably don't really understand how technology is manifesting in our culture. When we're pro-something or anti-something, and we're really in those camps, it usually means we don't understand the issue. Like, psychologically, binary thinking mostly happens when we're not really connected to what's actually going on. It's easy to be for or against something. So tonight I'm going to talk about how technology shows up in my life, maybe how it shows up in your life, but also how it impacts us, especially relationally. Um, Also, you know, offline, we all have, I think, like judging by the folks in here that I know, we all have practices of self-care or community care that we're involved with uh, to help us heal when we're overwhelmed, to help us stop, um, to help us rejuvenate. And what I'm also going to suggest in this talk tonight is practices that we can engage so we can have self-care uh, online also. It's not just enough to have it offline. We need to have it when we're online uh, at the same time. Um, so, first some questions. Between the time you finished work, Oh, we're in the yoga community. Nobody works. (laughs) That was a joke. Between the time you finished work um, today and coming to the talk this evening, uh, how many times did you check your messages? Any kind of messages? How many times? Just someone saying numbers. Five. Five. Ten. 15, 10, 50. It's getting more honest. Five, 20. Um, and when was the last time you had a break from technology? This is something I see a lot. You know, every year I teach several silent meditation retreats. And one of the things I hear a lot nowadays at the end of retreats that I didn't hear as much before was, wow, it was so amazing having a break from my phone. (laughs) So every day we're overwhelmed with facts and Uh, pseudo-facts. Recent research says that uh, in 2011 we take in 174 newspapers worth of information every day. Five times as much as we did in 1996. Five times. The average North American is spending five hours a day on a mobile screen. Five hours on a mobile screen. For every hour of YouTube you watch, 6,000 new hours get posted. (laughs) 
So if you feel overwhelmed and that you can't keep out and maybe you're missing out, you are. And it's not just you. I mean, I don't know about you, but in the last five or six years, I feel differently. I notice this even, you know, I like to read before I go to sleep. And I notice if I've looked at a screen, even in the afternoon, sometimes I like to read, and if I've looked at a screen, you know, checking an email, for example, or looking something up, and then I go to open a book and read a page, my eyes don't focus right away on the movement of the sentences. They move around the page as if I'm looking at a, a, um, an interactive page online. So most of us are constantly uh, multitasking. And when you're multitasking, your brain uses up a tremendous amount of glucose, which is almost impossible to measure. But there was a study at McGill University a few years ago suggesting that there's no such thing as multitasking. For your brain, you're doing one thing at a time. And scientists say you can't do more than three things at a time. You can drive down the road. You can signal that you're turning left, and you can listen to the radio. <laughs> That's it. Okay. Most people are turning left, listening to the radio, talking to someone, and somehow texting at the same time. Even when we're cooking or running, we're usually listening to podcasts now about cooking or running. <laughs> And globally, more people have access to phones than toilets. Do you ever stop and think, a company created this? How have I let this company take over? So there's a big illusion that we're living in, which is that although we think we're doing more things at once, there's a real cognitive cost to this quickly switching from one task to another. And it's a metabolic cost. Right? When you turn on your screen, so you type in something, let's say, uh, what are you looking up? Michael Stone's website, <laughs> which is called michaelstoneteaching.com. <laughs> when a new page comes up, your brain has to reset to take in this new data. Then you see something, podcasts. Oh, I really want to check out michaelstoneteaching.com podcasts. And you, you go into the podcast section, and every time a new page opens up, your brain is burning a lot. You're using a lot of energy to reset for that page. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. So it's like driving your car in first gear at high RPM for a long period of time. Oh, we're in Vancouver, so you don't have cars, but it was like your parents driving their car. <laughs> and anyways, um, checking messages is also changing a lot. So I noticed that, you know, when I communicate with younger people, meaning like younger than me, <laughs> the younger that it gets, the more diverse the message tactics are. So for example, like 
Email's pretty simple. If you just have email, you check your email and you complain about the size of your email box. And some of you might know that there's a date in April coming up that started last year called Email Debt Forgiveness Day. Where, yeah, this is a true thing. It was started in the United States. Where it's one day of the year, you can take all your drafts and all the stuff in your inbox you're never going to respond to and just delete it. And everybody does it. Yeah. So, okay, but, but I've noticed that, you know, people who are younger than me, they want to message through whatever social media program they're using. And in different countries, they're using different programs. So messages come to me from all over the place. I mean, now you can collect all those messages in different apps. But the problem is, is that there's this metabolic issue going on. Then there's also a social issue going on, which is when someone sends you a text, there's an etiquette where you feel like you should respond to the text. Okay? So I'm not talking so much about inboxes and email. But with texting, generally when someone sends us a text, it feels like we should be responding to that text. So there's a pressure um, there as well. So there's a neural addiction happening, and then there's also this social addiction happening. Does this make sense? Yeah. Okay. So let's pause. <clears throat> in my tradition, the Buddhist tradition that I trained in, and in the yoga tradition as well, um, when we want to really look closely at our habits, our reactivity, um, the quality of our actions, we pay attention to perception. One of the interesting things about both yoga and Buddhism as paradigms is that they're paradigms that don't begin with belief systems. They're paradigms that begin with perception. And we call this often nowadays mindfulness. Mindfulness is a practice of noticing what's happening in moment-to-moment -moment experience and then noticing the way you're noticing what's happening in moment-to-moment -moment experience. So there's two pieces. One piece is paying attention to what's happening or being awake to what's happening. And the other piece is noticing the subjective experience of noticing. So notice, so we would call that like meta-noticing, right? Noticing the quality of your noticing. Does this make sense? And what we start to notice when we notice what we're noticing <laughs> is how much reactivity we're caught in all the time. All the time. You know the big problems that you have in your life? You know them. Your big reactions, you have five or six of them, and you know them because they're so big. Right? They kind of define your character in some way. But most of the stuff that causes trouble are not the big reactions, but all the little ones all day long. Right? All those little, I like it, I don't like it. <laughs> I want more, I want to get away from this. I like that person, I don't like that person. Sometimes it's the same person. <laughs> And what happens when we're constantly in the digital world 
is that we start getting used, and this is the neural addiction, is that we start getting used to very high levels of stimulation. Very high levels of stimulation. And then we habituate to those levels of stimulation. The problem is, is that our senses aren't wired for this. They're wired so we can um, grow to meet those levels of stimulation, but we also need times of rest, right? So we, we, can, we can ramp up and have high levels of stimulation, but then we also have to come down and have some rest. The problem is, is what's happening these days is everyone's at work, I'm sorry, not at work. In the coffee shop. In the coffee shop. <laughs> on Instagram, looking at people working. <laughs> on Instagram. Does anybody on Instagram follow pictures of people working? <laughs> That'll be like the new fetish. Look at that person working. Whoa, that's a good one. Anyways, so, so we're, sorry for the tangents. It's like, long day. Um, so, the levels of stimulation are really high, and then what happens is, when we need a break, because nobody smokes anymore, we don't go outside and have a smoke, which I recommend that you actually go outside and have a smoke, mindful of smoking. The problem is, is that instead of smoking, people are taking their break going online. Okay? So you're so tired, you turn on Netflix. You're so tired, you go to Instagram. You're so tired, you go to Facebook. You know what I'm talking about, right? And you're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. So the level of stimulation never comes down. So we're hyper-aroused. Mm -hmm. Also, on top of that, the things we tend to go to on the internet are actually more stimulating than the stimulation we were getting at work. Right? So you go to porn, you go to whatever kind of porn, house porn, whatever porn you're into, yoga porn. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> and, and then your rest time is hyper, hyper arousal for your brain. And then you wonder why people have so much anxiety. How do you learn how to stop? How do you learn how to come back into your embodied experience if you're used to such high levels of stimulation? I would say that if you're used to such high levels of stimulation, stopping and actually making contact with your breathing would be threatening. Because your body is used to being in this state of hyperarousal. That's what it knows. That's its comfort zone. So if, the, the, if, if we could say the personality that gets developed out of being over-aroused strengthens to a point where it becomes the default, or it's what we're used to, you see, then that personality would experience stillness, or the possibility of stillness, as um, scary. Right? Because it's threatening to the one who's doing this, who's looping, you see. The Buddha didn't know any of this. The Buddha thought that the world floated on water 
because when you drill a hole, you get water. He didn't know anything about 3D printers. <laughs> but the Buddha said that mindfulness meditation is most helpful for people who have a, what he called vikalpa, which you could translate as rumination. And one of the interesting characteristics of both anxiety and depression is the inability to see rumination when you're ruminating. Like somebody who's depressed isn't really as sad as popular magazines tell us they are. Usually what characterizes depression is intense rumination. Where someone's gone off on a thought, the thoughts led to another thought, and they start looping together. They start looping. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And it becomes a vortex, always with a dead end. So... <clears throat> One piece of the puzzle is we need practices, and tonight I'm a cheerleader for mindfulness practice, to learn how to stabilize our attention. So when our attention goes off, we can catch it and come back again to our life, come back again to what's happening in our life. Because the problem is, is that the tendency is that the present moment's happening. Your life can only happen in the present. There's no other way you can do your life, right? But our imagination gets bigger than the physical, which we call metaphysical, gets bigger than the present, and it goes off into loops of imagination. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And the problem with these loops is that we don't see that that's happening. We don't see what's happening. We don't see that we're looping. And... When we turn to most digital technologies, they tend to be reinforcing that looping. And a side would be, it would be really interesting to think about, you know, creating apps and video games that actually bring us back into present experience and interrupt habitual looping. That would be interesting, but that's a whole other topic. So... Secondly, when you're in this looping experience, this is called samsara. Have you ever heard this word before? Samsara. Um, <clears throat> which basically means to go around in a circle. And that's, in the yoga and Buddhist tradition, that's how they talked about suffering. And I've always translated the word samsara as meaningless. Meaninglessness. Because what happens is, is when we're used to our attention looping in these circles, we're always operating in the realm of the known. It's hard to be surprised. And over time, your life starts to feel more narrow because you know, you know, oh, I know that person. I know that piece of land. I know that program. I know that book. You know what I'm talking about? No, you don't. And when we're in this looping experience, our life starts to feel like it doesn't have meaning because we're not connected to the aliveness of the present. 
So, I want to suggest some practices that you can do to bring this into your life, because uh, my goal tonight was to not just talk about um, the negative effects of technology, but to talk about what you can do. Because I love technology. I have a Twitter account, you can check out. I have an Instagram account, I have a Facebook account, I have a Flickr account, I have a SoundCloud account. Just saying. So, uh, the first practice I'm going to suggest is called the three T's. And this is very good to do for those of you who um, live with other people. Uh, the first T is time. That every day you should have time for time. Doesn't that sound crazy that we have to remember that? But every day you should schedule in time for time. Time to have time unfold where you're not being productive. And I've always found over the years, or I've come to find, that this is one of the best ways of thinking about a daily meditation practice. Is a daily meditation practice is a space in your day where you're not being productive. You're not needing to achieve something. That's why, you know, when a lot of people who are artists say, well, I have an art practice, I have a dance practice, I have a whatever practice. Is that the same as having a meditative practice? And I always say no. Because when you have a dance practice or a choreography practice, you're trying to make something. In meditative practice, we're not producing anything. It's anti-capitalist time. No consuming, no... The only thing you're consuming is your breathing. And it's not even you that is consuming it. So, time for time. The second thing is time for touch. So every day to have time for touching. In my house, it's wrestling. We have, we have wrestling time. It used to be chase time. Before bed, my son wants to be chased. Like, not just chased, but like around 20 minutes. So that's my cardio practice. Yeah. I've never measured it with the Fitbit or whatever. Now it's gone into, uh, now we don't uh, chase, we wrestle. So. The chasing ended in wrestling. And now he doesn't want the chasing, he just wants the wrestling. So, so every day uh, you should have time um, for time and time for touch. And the third thing is um, <clears throat> time for um, talking. Do you remember this? Yeah, like actually have time to talk. When was the last time you did this with your roommate? <coughs> to have time to really sit together and talk and be together face to face. So that's the first practice I'm going to give you. That's the three T's. Okay, that's your homework. Everybody hear it? So what are they? What's the first one? Time. Second one? 
And so good. Okay. Such a good group. When I teach in Burnaby, nobody remembers anything. Okay, the second thing is um, have, have a time of the day where you're unplugged. Where you're unplugged. So, um, <clears throat> in our house, we have a practice that we try and do where uh, we have no screens after sundown. So, once the sun sets, no screens. Yeah. So, um, I live also with my in-laws, and they both just got iPhones. And so this one's been screwed up a little bit now, because uh, uh, they have no control. <laughs> They're just on their phones all the time. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you some stories, but I'm not going to. Anyways. So, uh, no, no, no screen time after uh, the sun sets. Um, this is also very good for those of you that have insomnia. Um, to just have uh, quiet lights, maybe candles, maybe you read. Maybe this is a good time for reading. Um, the other thing that I do is I have an app called Freedom. I don't know how many of you have this app, but you should all have this app. I don't get paid royalties for that. But, um, I have an app called Freedom, which is basically parental controls for adults, where you type in how many minutes you'll allow yourself of internet time a day, and then it shuts down the internet on all your devices. Yeah. Well, for $25 a year, it shuts it down on one device, but for $45 a year, you have to pay $45 a year to get your internet to be shut off. <laughs> yeah. But I have some friends who are really prolific writers, and I, I said to one of them once, I asked her, you know, how, how did you write that book so fast? She's like, don't you know about freedom? <laughs> So, uh, yeah, if you're a person who is creative and you need to be offline to actually know what it's like to really get still and use your imagination, um, it's a really good app. Really, really good app. Um, next practice. Um, unsubscribe. Enough said. Unsubscribe. Except to the Michael Stone teaching newsletter. <laughs> it's really good. And the last one that I'll recommend is um, just to know, and I mean, this is like an age-old Ayurvedic um, understanding, which is that um, good health and creativity comes from having rhythm in your day. Comes from having a good rhythm in your day. So you should know when in your day you have your creative burst. And for most people, it's sometime between sunrise and noon, for most people. So you should know what hour that is when you have your creative burst, and you shouldn't use that hour to return emails. You shouldn't use that hour to text. So if you get the Freedom app, make sure it's, not shutting, make sure it's shutting off your internet at that time. 
So that that's the time where you can do something creative. Does this make sense? Yeah. So know when your morning burst time is. Yeah. Um, I know quite a few people in here are psychotherapists. If you have a client who is really boring and like, or you're like in a rut with them. <laughs> no, it's true. This happens. There's people you don't really want to work with that you have to work with. Um, put them in your morning burst time and see what happens. Like if you always see that person at 3 p.m. and you're just like, oh God, they're this. <laughs> um, try putting them at 10 a.m. and see if um, the work shifts. You can try that out. When you're distracted all the time, it's harder to be intimate with what's happening in your life, and it's certainly harder to be intimate with other people. And when we don't feel intimacy in a regular way in our lives, we start to feel disconnected, and then we start to worry. And when you start to worry a lot, and you ruminate in your worry, you start to feel more disconnected. And then when you feel more disconnected, you start to worry more. So it's really important that we see that one aspect of having a regular meditative practice is to recover the intimacy that's right here all the time. Right here. But when we're distracted, we think it's not here. We think we need something outside of this moment to ground us. And when we're trying to get grounded outside of this moment, this embodied experience, which is not one thing, it's moving all the time, then we'll always have a low-grade anxiety that you can't get rid of. And the reason why you can't get rid of is it's the anxiety that comes from being a distracted self that can't get grounded. That self can't be grounded. It can't be grounded. So attention that's stable and balanced is a profound social practice. Maybe it's the most generous thing any of us can do, is to give somebody else your attention. Give someone your face. Sometimes I work with community groups and they always say, it's so hard building community. And I always say, it takes a second just give someone your face. You're a teacher at school, give every single student your face before nine o'clock. And it trains your own heart too. So your ability to use your attention in a balanced and stable way is what drives love. It's what drives empathy. It's what drives creativity. And it's what builds the bridge to relationship. 
Otherwise, people are in relationship with us, and who are they in relationship with? They don't know who we are, because we don't even know where we are. It's scary to take a break from being plugged in, isn't it? Because we're getting so used to it all the time. Someone who's a school teacher told me recently that she, um, uh, it drives her crazy that kids come in with headphones into the classroom. And she says to them, shut off your, your phone or whatever you're listening to. And they'll say, I'm not listening to anything. See? And they're not. <laughs> but there's some way where the headphones keep us plugged into the grid, even if nothing's coming through them. Whatever way we define spirituality, or whatever way we define mental health, what they both have in common is the ability to feel connected to something bigger than just our ruminative mind. Something bigger than just the stories we tell about our lives. And when we're really distracted all the time, it's not possible. We're sabotaging intimacy. We think we're intimately connected, but it's, it's intimacy and drag. It's kind of intimacy, but it's not. So, there's a great Zen story of um, a teacher, uh, a student who comes to a, a teacher and he has a, an academic background. And he says to the teacher, my mind is a mess, and I really want to settle my mind. And the teacher says, uh, come in and sit down and have tea. And uh, in the Zen tradition, um, when you sit down with a teacher, you often sit very, very close to them. Like they would both be sitting on the floor like this, right face to face. And the teacher um, took out a cup and took out his tea kettle, and started pouring the tea for the student who had the busy mind. And then he looked up at the student, looked him in the eye, and he kept pouring, pouring, until they were both drenched. <coughs> and said, uh, that's what you're doing with your mind. This is what we're all doing with our minds. Filling them, filling them, filling them. When you eat, you have to digest. But it's like we're not digesting. We're stuffing ourselves with images. Now when you stuff yourself with images, and you're distracted, and you have low self-esteem, which is an epidemic in our society, uh, you have a recipe for um, uh, mental and emotional instability and consumerism. Because if you're really distracted, contemplate this, because this might have happened to you this week. You're really distracted, you have low self-esteem, okay? The distractions 
destabilize your emotions. Because when you're really um, reactive, do you know what I'm talking about? When you're really reactive, your emotions are unstable because you can't relate to what you're actually feeling. You're just reacting to what you're feeling. And when you combine that with low self-esteem, that's a recipe for companies to sell you things. And it used to be that companies sold you things from 9 in the morning until 5 p.m. Somebody told me that um, uh, Porsche cars that are over a hundred... Wait, what was the statistic? Something like the new models of Porsche over $100,000, something like 60% of them are being sold via mobile devices. <laughs> so just imagine this. You're spending over $100,000. 60% of the people spending over $100,000 are doing it on a mobile device. It would be so interesting to study the emotional state of someone the week before that purchase. That's the tea, pouring, pouring, pouring. That's us stuffing ourselves, every sensory organ, stuffing, 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 not digesting. And the antidote to this is to have a practice that allows us to wake up to what's really going on in our lives. Because it's not just that we, learn, we need, it's not just that we're yearning to be more intimate with our lives, it's also that we're craving depth. We want depth. We want meaning. And meaning doesn't come from cognition. Meaning comes when you put yourself in a position to receive meaning. And that position is a space of non-reactivity. That's what we're learning how to enter. And the punchline is when you can enter a space of non-reactivity, it's okay. Everything's okay. And in the ancient uh, traditions, the name they had for that space of non-reactivity was uh, samadhi. Have you heard this word before? Samadhi? It's very popular in health food stores. You see it everywhere, samadhi. Some kind of bar, <laughs> raw, a raw uh, bar. Some means uh, to come together or with, and adi means one. And it's interesting. I was just talk I was just exploring this actually just a couple weeks ago. But when the word samadhi, which is a Sanskrit word, travels. You, you see samadhi in the yoga and Buddhist traditions, this word. And when it travels via Afghanistan to China, they, in China, they didn't have... They, they chose a lot of meditative terms. They created words for those terms out of characters. And the two characters that were chosen for this word, densu, samadhi, is um, 
a period, like a stop, like a full stop, like this. Just a circle, stop. And a roof on top of it. I really like this symbol. So imagine this. Stopping and then protection. The anxiety is really intense. Stop. Find your breathing. And when you start to stop, protection. You're protected. A roof appears. It's so hard to stop sometimes. Because we think that stopping is going to be threatening. Remember I was saying that earlier? Stopping is going to be a threat. But you also need to see that as a rumination. You're walking into the Lululemon store again. (laughs) And you stop. Wouldn't that be cool if like tomorrow you walk by the Lululemon store and there's all these people like sitting out front? (laughs) That are protected? Sorry, I just have to. I come to Kitsilano and I... so interesting. (laughs) If you stop, you'll be protected. Fear is present. You can stop right in the middle of fear, and that's fear samadhi. Loneliness shows up. The emotion that really drives us towards being consumers of online stuff, loneliness shows up. You stop, you find your breath, and you do loneliness samadhi. You can be completely present and lonely, and it's okay. You can be completely present and uncomfortable, and it's okay. You can bring a meditative awareness to any mental state. And then there's protection. So, I've given you a lot of practices. Uh, What I'd like to do is to have a break. Uh, to check our messages <laughs> uh, for five minutes. Is five minutes enough to have a break? Yeah. Uh, and then we can come back and just get into a deeper discussion together about this. Yeah. So thank you very much.